This is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 135 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, you spent the weekend at Fantastic Fest. That's your first time, I believe, uh, spending that much time there, isn't it? It is. It's the most time I've ever spent at a f- at uh, at least like consecutive days. I think at a festival. I was there. I stayed overnight, which I never really do. Um, oh. And I ended up uh, seeing in the span of three days fifteen movies. That is uh, quite a feat. Uh, the Fantastic Fest, if you don't know, started out as a genre festival, sort of. Um, what would you call it? Like more of a a lo-fi horror sort of festival to start with? Yeah, I would say I would say genre meaning, you know, not just horror but also like kung fu martial arts right, um, right, right. kind of like and yes, kind of lo-fi, low budget kind of blood bloody massacre type movies. Um and then it sort of evolved as we kind of talked about last week over the years. Yeah, um so you saw the world premiere Right? Is it the world premiere? Oh no, this is a the because I was at TIFF, but it was uh, the premiere of Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. So I saw the. Uh, I I don't. I I think it might be. I don't know if it's the U.S. premiere, but maybe it is. It might be the U.S. premiere of Jojo Rabbit, um, uh, which uh, is Taika Waititi's um, Taika Waititi. I think is yeah, that's, is that? uh, yeah. His his new film, um, which we'll talk about it in depth when it comes out. But um, I absolutely loved it, um, and uh, and it's just kind of further evidence that um, he is the he's one of my favorite filmmakers at this point now. I mean, after after this and what we do in the shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People. I mean, obviously, Thor Ragnarok is great, too, but those three movies are, are like a perfect trifecta of just, like, you know how some sometimes it comes along where someone just kind of nails your sense of humor? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that he very much encapsulates a lot of stuff I find very funny. And it's kind of that blend between, like, kind of smart wordplay and then really dumb wordplay <laughs> like and, and i think that's that's i think what he does best is he is he sort of balances the highbrow and the lowbrow um better than anyone these days yeah uh i was a little concerned about this film bef- i i haven't seen it but going uh ahead of the the festival because it it's the first one other than thor ragnarok that's not sort of that grounded in new zealand uh aesthetic mm-hmm. that he has with uh, with uh, what we do in the shadows and hunt for the wilder people you know it has Scarlett Johansson and uh, um, Sam Rockwell in pretty big roles and mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest stars he's had in a film that's not Thor Ragnarok yeah for sure and I think that the the um, the great part about the movie is that it's it's truly focused through the eyes of a child so um, so like it's 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 got a lot of um, I have to look up his name. The, the child actor who plays Jojo, he's he's uh, really good. His name is uh, Roman Griffin Davis, but like the star of the show is Thomas and McKenzie, um, who was great in um, uh, the movie from last year with uh, Ben Foster. Uh, what was that movie called? Oh, it was on my top ten. Why am I not remembering um, this? I, I know who she is, but um, I, I can't think of the name. I'll, I'll look it up. Leave No Trace is what it was called. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And she so she was in Leave No Trace and she's really great in this movie where she basically is torturing this kid kind of mentally about 
um, about Jewish people and, uh, and, and just kind of like all of the dumb, ridiculous propaganda. She's kind of just like, oh, yeah, it's all true and just kind of messing messing with him and, and it's kind of a joy to watch and so you know rockwell it, it has a pretty small role um but uh, like he kind of maximizes his time and scarlett johansson does have a pretty sizable role but she's good in it and you know a lot of people are making comparisons with his of, of the aesthetic to wes anderson um which i think that's appropriate i guess but also i think a little bit of kind of like unfair just because they're kind of in uniforms and so it looks a lot like moonrise kingdom but it's really gorgeously shot it's slick it's easily his best looking movie um again outside of thor ragnarok and um yeah i mean i think it's 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 a really difficult and i wrote this in my text review um but it's a really difficult thing to pull off and i think it's really difficult to pull off in these times where you're featuring <laughs> you know like a like super uh, like you're featuring Hitler and Nazis prominently in a time where um, Hitler and Nazis are relevant again <laughs> in, in, in horrible ways. And so I, I, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope that he somehow manages to kind of stay on the perfect pitch side of. And so I really appreciated um, what he accomplished with that movie. That is uh, something that is, is a weird thing to say now. That... It's It blows my mind every day that we have to think about Nazis in the year 2019. <sighs> anyway, uh, so moving on, what uh, what else that, that, that you saw really stood out to you? So uh, there were a few movies um, that I'll kind of briefly touch on. Uh, you know, the quality was not as good as it was last year. Um, I think I maybe saw six movies um, that I would call good out of the, fif- out of the 15. Um, and then the rest were kind of okay or really not my thing. Um, I'll, I'll just focus briefly on a few movies here. Um, one of them I had a lot of fun with was a movie called um, VFW. Um, and it was a complete, like, look, it, it is a completely gory, bloody, like, shootout movie where um, a, a bunch of war veterans have to defend their local VFW post uh, against, like, like punk army people and it's and it's got like a bunch of like old ass action stars like it's got not not even action stars it's got william sadler and and uh stephen lang and martin cove and fred williamson and george went <laughs> it's a great george went <laughs> george went yeah and um and it's just a nasty shoot 'em up movie that I just had a blast with. Like, it's one of those movies where I wanted at least one Fantastic Fest experience to be like, this is fucking stupid and I love it. And uh, and VFW is great. Um, the One of the best things I saw was a, a Finnish movie called Dogs Don't Wear Pants. Um, and I, I'm going to give you the log line here and tell you, and it's in the log line is enough to show you why I loved it. So movie starts off with a guy whose wife drowns herself and kind of gets caught in a net, and uh, and I, it, it's played off as if it's a suicide, but the guy, the husband, goes in to try to rescue her, and in the process almost drowns and dies. Um, and so it flashes forward to like 10 years later, and he still misses his wife tremendously, and and he accidentally stumbles into S&M, and, uh, and so he finds out that when he's strangled, he starts having visions of that day where he almost died but it was the last time he saw his wife so every time he gets strangled he can envision and see his wife again so he kind of gets super hooked <laughs> in getting uh strangled in an S&M club or whatever by this dominatrix because it gets him closer to his wife and helps him deal with his grief so well that's that's uh, very touching 
it is it's 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 very t- it's touching uh in some cases if you yes. know what i mean uh but no it, it's and it's <laughs> Course, it was yeah. it was it was a great mix between comedy because it's very darkly comedic, um, and being a really interesting movie. I, I like that one quite a bit. Um, and then there was a couple of decent stuff. Like I saw a foreign film called The Whistlers, which was like a noir movie that had a bunch of twists that was pretty well done. Um, but I think that the other highlight, other than Jojo Rabbit, was for sure. Uh, Dolomite is my name, which was the first of these two secret screenings. That yeah, they had. yeah. Um, so, so for those that don't know, it's a um, it's sort of a biopic of Rudy Ray Moore, who um, created the character of Dolomite, um, which was uh, a black exploitation movie in the seventies um, that uh, that became uh, like one of the bigger cult hits. I think there's been in recent memory. Um, and notably, it stars Eddie Murphy, which it's, uh, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy has had a uh, an interesting career trajectory since, uh, since I guess, the 90s. I mean, I, I guess The Nutty Professor was the last success that he really saw in, in the comedy world. Um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, as far as hits go, I mean, of course, he had the critical hit with Dreamgirls. Right, an Oscar-nominated performance for him. Um, but... Uh, the 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 best thing I can say about this movie is that uh, it is the it is the return to form for Eddie Murphy that I think everyone's been waiting for for like twenty years. Um, <laughs> oh, of course, he was in the Shrek films. I forgot. But yeah, that that's true. Doesn't really count. But. Yeah, uh, he's phenomenal in this movie, and in the best way that I would describe it to you, uh, and I did describe it to you, is it's a lot like the Disaster Artist where it's kind okay. of sh- showing like the behind the scenes of how someone who doesn't really know what they're doing tries to accomplish a goal or a dream of theirs. So, you know, it shows Rudy Ray Moore starting off as like a failing stand-up comedian and then shifting to finding the Dolomite character and doing the Dolomite character in stand-up and then kind of blowing up with that character and then saying, hey, you know, let's make a movie out of this. Like, why not? And uh, it's very much along those lines of like the follow your dreams, like, let's let's do this even though we don't have the resources type stuff and um a lot of comparisons to ed i haven't seen ed wood but a lot of ed wood comparisons and it's got the same writers as ed wood as well um yeah i don't know if you knew that but um but but yeah and so it's it's just really really fantastic i was smiling the whole time it's the most fun i've had in a movie theater in a long time and so you know it is coming to netflix on october 25th but if you have the chance to see it in a theater with a crowd it's 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 a party like the people are going to eat it up um and and eddie murphy is great i i think he he will probably get an oscar nomination for that also a good comeback performance from wesley snipes who's in it who's very good um some good cameos along the way and then just a great cast i mean keegan michael key craig robinson um ty just uh, ty, uh <laughs> excuse me titus burgess from uh um unbreakable kimmy schmidt mm-hmm. um directed and, by craig craig brewer who did uh um hustle and flow yeah 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 and uh and so yeah i, I it, it was that's one that we'll talk about when it comes to netflix because i really think that you're gonna like it a lot and um and I think that uh, it was a really great. I mean, it was a secret screening that I think paid off. You know, the, the, some of, some of those are gambles, and like last night was the lighthouse, which I couldn't make it out to. But I, I left leaving the festival like I'm really glad that I went to see that movie and and took a chance on the secret screening. So yeah, uh, and it's it's getting a short uh, theatrical play uh, for Oscar qualification. Obviously. Yeah, it's getting a three week run. 
Yeah, I think uh, starting next Friday, the fourth. Yeah, the fourth. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, if you ha- if you want to see it before it hits Netflix, you can probably see it here in Austin. I don't know about San Antonio, but yeah, they're get we'll we'll get a theatrical run here. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I, I and you know it's one of those things where like I I would be so curious to see how this movie would do if it was like a full on theatrical run to te- kind of test Eddie Murphy's star power plus the you know. The, I think the combination of Eddie Murphy plus good reviews is going to bring people out. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some healthy box office numbers in small amounts um, for the theatrical run of this movie. But I guess that remains to be seen. Well, this is like the the first fire uh, from Eddie Murphy's comeback um, tour thing. Well, not tour, but uh, his bid to, to kind of re-enter the public spotlight because he's got this film... And then he's notably hosting Saturday Night Live's mm-hmm. uh, Christmas episode, mm-hmm. and then supposed to be uh, uh, going on a stand-up tour next year. Yeah, and he also has Coming to America too, also directed oh, by Craig yes. Brewer um, next year. So this could be a monster comeback for Eddie Murphy if it's if it's kind of handled properly. <laughs> unless people, unless people that get mad at comedy go back and listen to his old records. Oh yeah, those are those are just the teensiest bit problematic. <laughs> I mean, you and I have been having a long conversation about the the comedy um, policing that's been going on lately um, in regard to things that are said in an effort to be funny, and those are something that uh, you know these raw is thirty five years old. Yeah, and I mean there is some very very problematic stuff on there now. Uh, that that people won't take kindly to, and I'm just curious how that'll affect someone like Eddie Murphy, if it's been long enough in the past that people have will forgive it, or if it's going to be exposed to a new group of of potential fans mm-hmm. that that you know he's he's got some some very uh, early '80s homophobic jokes over those albums. Yes, so, uh, that, that's that's a curiosity I have after the the kind of week and a half that comedy's had recently with, you know, people getting fired for things they said that, you know, were, a, you know, meant in there as their, as a performance, but whatever. I'm curious about if Eddie Murphy can weather that storm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think, I mean, not to get too far in the weeds of this conversation that we've been having for a week straight, but privately, but, you know, I, I think that with Eddie Murphy, the, it was a different time. Defense is more valid than it is in the current situation. True, um, and so I, I, I think that I think that it ages a little bit. I mean, it ages poorly, but I think the intent is a little bit different because you're talking about like, I, if I'm not mistaken, that was back in like the AIDS crisis stuff, which you know well, I, well, I think it, it takes a little bit of a different context when you look at it from the from like the the day and age it was in with his stuff. No, I I I'm I totally agree and I don't think it's fair to judge content uh on anything uh whether it's the special effects or the the way something was written or performed in a in a time when it was acceptable and 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 you know the way things go. I I just wonder if the climate now is conducive to something like that or if it's something that'll be um you know uh, that someone will use to to torpedo uh the the comeback so to speak i mean cuz look that stuff they were jokes and, and i get it but they are like they're really rough 
if, I mean, they're really raunchy, like mean spirited. I mean, I get it. It's funny. I mean, it was, it was an intent, intent to be funny and it was funny to the audiences of 1983, but it's one of those things that, that you look at it now, you're like, holy shit, that's re- really brutal. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. I, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, you know, and, and I don't, obviously don't expect that sort of comedy from him in 2019, but, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see because that's one of the, I think the, the biggest things I think he has going against him is that he used to be so just horribly filthy uh in a, in a way that could be offensive to many many people today so mm-hmm. whatever uh, I, i'm curious to see i i'm i'm really looking forward to an eddie murphy comeback i'm coming to america is one of my favorite movies ever i'm yeah. really scared about a sequel but uh, yeah i mean it's uh, I, the the best thing you can say about it i think is it's in good hands because craig brewer kind of crushed it with dolomite and um, yeah and uh, and I think that you'll 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 have you'll you'll be excited. I think about coming to America too, um, having seen this. So you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the discussion on this movie because I think it's almost impossible to not like. And uh, it will be fun to see Eddie Murphy pop back into the Oscar conversation, which I, I believe will happen as a result of the movie. Um, so yeah, and and again, I just have to say that the um, the people that run Fantastic Fest, I mean, the organization is just so top notch. Um, you know, I got into every movie I tried for, um, you know, they oh, wow. only, they only give tickets out enough tickets out to the movie to where like they can fit everyone. So if you've got a ticket, you're getting in no matter what. So there's not a lot of stress about not getting into everything. You know what you're going to do. Yeah. You know, there's downsides like this, the, the, it was hot as hell. And the, in the lobby at South Lamar is not nearly big enough to hold, uh, the, the amount of people it needs to, especially when they have the red carpet out. Um, but, uh, but like organizationally speaking, like everything was starting on time. Um, you know, the, the ticketing process again, could not be any easier. It's the best run on organized ticketing festival there is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it's great. And then you get to get, you know, weird celebrity sightings. Like, uh, you get to see Tim Robbins go into a Toyota Camry Uber (laughs) as I, as I texted you, which was surreal and strange. I mean, he can't go for Uber select or black or whatever the luxury one is, but anyway, you know, you saw Tim Robbins, saw Justin Long, um, you know, Leonard Malton was in the lobby a bunch, uh, you know, so it's it, it's a it's a fun experience, even though the movie quality is not always, you know, you, you have to go in knowing that, you know, for some groups, because they show like five movies at a time, you know, sometimes you're going to have to just like bite the bullet. And if you want to see a movie, you're going to have to see something that's may not be your speed or may not be all that great but then of course the next movie could be amazing and you and you know so um yeah it's it's a great experience and i look forward to doing it again next year did you see uh elijah wood no i don't know that he was here this year because he had a he had a movie that he was starring in and i don't think he was in an attendance for the um q a or anything so i'm assuming that he wasn't able to make it that's crazy. It's that'd be the first time since I've been going that he hasn't mm-hmm. been there. Yeah, maybe he's filming something. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, in uh, contrast to your weekend, I spent mine at the Big Texas Comic Con, uh, doing some panel hosting. One of my favorite things to do with these things. Uh, I got invited by uh, by the staff there again. Thanks to uh, Garrett Killian, uh, Ignacio Olivia, and uh, Joseph Devine, three guys that that run the panels there. Um. I got invited to host uh, uh, the uh, 
uh, I hosted the Power Rangers panel with uh, David Yost and, and Walter Jones, who um, I've met before. Uh, it's interesting. It's it's hard to, to think of new things to say about Power Rangers in 2019, but, you know, we tried. Uh, one of the most fun was uh, I hosted the Sons of Anarchy panel that featured uh, Ron Perlman, Tommy Flanagan, and Ryan Hurst. Now, uh, I don't know. Have you watched Sons of Anarchy? I have not. I I've have seen not like, like half of one season, I think. I haven't watched it either. I don't have anything against it. It's just nothing I've I've sought out to watch. I have friends and family members that are obsessed with the show. Um, but I was asked to host that panel after getting bumped from the It panel due to a scheduling conflict. Um, but the Sons of Anarchy panel turned out to be really fun. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite stories, and I think I told you about this, is... Uh, uh, you know, the, these guys are, you know, grizzled old men, basically. Uh, well, Ron Perlman's old. The other two are, are in their probably late 40s, early 50s. And when they uh, they come out uh, to the panel, you know, we, we got started a little late. And I, I went ahead and dove right into questions. And uh, at one point I asked uh, Ron Perlman if it was his first time in San Antonio. And uh, they he he asked me what my name was. <laughs> At that point, he said, "What's your name?" And I, I told him, and then I shook his hand, and then he said, "None of my," he said, "None of your fucking business." And I laughed. The audience laughed, and uh, it kind of went from there. And it was that sort of energy. And then I got off the stage, and 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 Garrett, who was running the 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 con and the panels, he, he rushed to me. and said, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Yeah, why?" He said, "You know, they were they were they were messing with you, right?" I said, "Oh yeah." No, no worries. And uh, uh, I was like, this is exactly what I expected. Like that, make, that's what makes it fun. Um, but there's a lot of fun. Uh, there's a couple of clips from that panel online. There's uh, uh, at one point somebody bought um, like some. It, it's it's interesting to see how these these different fan bases react. You know, because Power Rangers is a bunch of of you know nerdy people. Um, you know, like me that grew up with it. Uh, Sons of Anarchy. Is a is a is a way different cross section because you get people like that you wouldn't expect to see at a comic con, uh, you know, more of the, uh, um, you know, biker type people, and uh, this one guy walked up and said he wanted to buy a shot for everyone, uh, for the three guys on the panel, and Ron Perlman's like, yeah, go for it, and then he came back with the shots, uh, of whiskey, but uh, one of the uh, one of the guys is sober. He's recovering alcoholic, Tommy Flanagan. And then uh, Ryan Hurst, one of the other actors, didn't want it. So Ron Perlman handed me a shot. So I did a shot of whiskey with Ron Perlman, <laughs> which is a pretty cool story to tell. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, at like 4 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. And uh, on Sunday I hosted the uh, Jaleel White panel. Of course, Jaleel White is Steve Urkel. <laughs> what, are you, what are you laughing at? I I just who else who else would he be like I mean like that's, well Sonic the Hedgehog I, oh, I, mean, yeah. I don't know if people know his name you know fuck you Cody um, nobody <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I did I do that oh he was amazingly cool uh, and like totally down to earth and humble about being having been one of the biggest TV stars in the nineties. And one cool thing I because I asked I did the the whole corny thing like have you been to San Antonio before and he said yeah I actually uh, he's like I he said I was at Game Seven of the 2005 NBA Finals when y'all beat Detroit and 
as a personal guest of David Stern. I was like, wow, what a fucking crazy. That's weird. Wow. I don't I he's like, yeah, David Stern invited me. I'm like, wow, what? Like, I, I just don't I couldn't process that all. Um, but yeah, he was he was a lot of fun. And again, thanks to uh, Big Texas Comic Con for inviting me out to host uh, their um, um, I, I don't know what their plans are for next year. Um, but I do hope it comes back with, uh, uh, you know, with their their goal is to come back with with more and more celebrities. And I know you'd like to get into that panel hosting uh, racket. Yeah, I had to decline. I was all set to do one at Alamo City a few years ago. I was going to do the RJ Mitty oh, yeah. Breaking Bad one. And then I had something come up where I couldn't do it, uh, which was a bummer. But um, you had a breakfast meeting. <laughs> you know what was funny? I was I was I was preparing for that. Because I, I was starting to think of questions, and I was going to lead with, "What did you have for breakfast this morning?" <laughs> Which I, my, quite, I hope would have been well received. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments was I was hosting the. Uh, um, it was Christian Narn who plays Hodor on oh, yeah, uh, right. Game of Thrones, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I started the panel off like, I, and I said it something like, "I know you can't tell me anything, like you can't give away spoilers." But just does Jon Snow live? Because this was after like a season where he had been killed and he mm-hmm. came back to life. And then he was said something like, I hope that fucker stays dead. And the <laughs> audience just erupted. And then one of the strangest moments hosting this. is Both of these were at Alamo City Comic Con um, hosting uh, the Edward James Almost panel who, uh, you know, his Comic Con uh, things you'd expect him to be there for is Battlestar Galactica, maybe Blade Runner. Um, but the fucking crowd was there to see him for Selena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I asked, cause we talked, we started talking about, uh, Battlestar Galactica and I talked about the politics of it, how it was basically a war on terror allegory and all this shit. And I asked the audience if they had seen Battlestar Galactica and maybe less than 5% of the people had Jesus. I was like, son of a bitch. Selena is a big giant deal in this. Town. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he, he was great too. Um, yeah, so I, I I do hope you get to get your feet wet into that finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope you get like one of those panels where the like Ron Perlman will bully you and. <laughs> yeah, so so if any if any mean celebrities come next time, I'm just gonna ask for those like uh like I'll I'll do the uh shit I don't know. I mean, Ron, to to be fair, it, it was all it was all an act. I mean, he wasn't really mean but it was mean you know a playfully mean thing i just i mean you're two for two in in those types of guys busting your balls (laughs) oh i know and i literally told that story uh about uh michael rooker busting my balls uh when you and i took him to to be interviewed and he he ragged on my shitty car (laughs) (laughs) and i mean it's fucking great like it's a fucking great story like i love that stuff and that was and that was an audience for like me and you like that's that's all that was for it was me you and then like his whoever that guy was that was with him like the his the reps assistant i I don't know but that guy was like he was over it but uh yeah it was fucking great and it, it i mean it's just and it makes such a great story yeah, you know it's way better. And you know I I've met some great uh, some people that are really kind and nice. Like Robert England, uh, I hosted uh, at his panel. Of course, Freddy Krueger at Terror Expo a few years ago, and uh, my God, he was so nice and talkative, but he couldn't give a shit about talking about anything other than just acting. Like he wouldn't get into the weeds about Freddy Krueger or anything. 
I think maybe he answered like six questions total because he was just talking so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was it was a weird thing to see. Like, you, normally you think these guys are just like, oh, yeah, I, you know, because they're having to answer questions from people that are like, what's Freddy Krueger's favorite cereal? <laughs> you know, but uh, and it, the answer to that is uh, Freddy Krueger O's. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything funny. <sighs> Sorry, dude. It's been a long weekend. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, one of the things, one of the, the coolest things about Julia White was, um, you know, inevitably people are, like, asking him about a reboot and, and all this stuff. And, like, you know, why don't you approach, uh, uh, you know, why don't you get this rebooted? And he's his, his thing is, like, you know, I, it's great that y'all are fans. Y'all are the ones with the power. He's, like, but, <laughs> like, Warner Brothers owns this and they don't want to do it. Like, you got to talk to Warner Brothers. <laughs> Yeah. Don't talk to me. Um, the same thing with Sonic. Like he was, he had an interesting take. And, and, and I think that um, uh, he had a, an interesting story about having uh, uh, shooting the sitcom that he would, I guess when he was like the lead of the show, Family Matters, he would uh, um, make it a point to get stuff done in two takes. So instead of having the audience, you know, have to sit through the same joke over and over again. And he, he mentioned that uh, he would never break character, even though he would want to laugh. He's like, and he said, because a, another a famous comedian uh, at the time, I won't say his name, uh, told me about it, <laughs> told me not to do it. And I was like, he's fucking talking about Bill Cosby. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and it was, he was just, a, he was classy about it. And I, I really, I... Left uh, with a new admiration for him. I, you know, not that I expected him to be an asshole, but just that that he was so kind of comfortable with his position in life. And the motherfucker still looks awesome, by the way. Like, looks young as shit. Like, he's older than I am. And, uh, I just look like hell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll be they'll be back next year, and uh, you can uh, host the. Uh, the uh, costume contest or something. Ooh, okay, I can uh, do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else before we move on? Nope. It's after a couple uh, weeks of uh, of events that things are going to slow down here, and we get back to our normal routine of uh, talking about movies. No, motherfucker, because then I have a wedding. Oh I'm yeah. Ma- <laughs> well, I meant weeks. more like film events, not, oh, okay. <laughs> not like not like life events. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that's like two weeks. I'm going to be knocked out of commission, so. All right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Ad Astra. This is a map of an underground lake beneath the launch pad. You'll be able to access the ship from there. We're approaching. They're going to come for you, you know. I don't... I don't care anymore. I need to get back now. Do what I can. Good luck. So this is another of a... I think it's kind of a recent trend of these sort of prestige sci-fi space travel movies. Yeah, like uh, and I'm thinking of, of course, like Interstellar and Gravity and um, 
I'm missing something else. Oh, first man. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these kind of uh, you know auteur takes on something that that was kind of left to the realm of science fiction. Like if you if you think about this uh, this plot line, this film is is Brad Pitt's uh, sent on a mission to uh, stop his father from sending these energy pulses to Earth, <laughs> and it's like that sounds like a fucking '90s sci-fi movie. Oh yeah, and it, and it turns into this kind of brainy, um, you know, contemplative uh, Oscar bait film. Uh, so what did, what did you think of Ad Astra? You know, I'm a little conflicted um, because there is so much that I liked about the movie, and then something would happen to kind of undo it, and it ha- and it just kept happening, and I was like, why can't this movie just kind of maintain like the trajectory it's on? And it was ultimately a very frustrating experience for me. Um, I will say that um, it is gorgeous. Um, And it is is maybe, for me, some of the best, like, space stuff there's ever been. Um, A lot of people were kind of talking about how there's, like, a car chase on the moon. And that's one of the big uh, action sequences. And that scene is fucking awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. it's so well done. It, it does great things with sound as well. And I was in a theater that, that like not intentionally, but like the seats would kind of shake when it would get really loud. Yeah. Same for me. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a really cool experience. And I think it just looks awesome. Even the opening sequence too, um, is really fantastic looking and, um, where, uh, where he basically has to parachute out of space it's like a space antenna. Yeah. So he's like in the upper atmosphere. He's basically halo jumping. Yeah. And and I think that that scene was fantastic. And I think that Brad Pitt is really great in the movie. And I think that um, – and it, it, this is a great year for him between this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think it's uh-huh. as good as that performance, but I think it's a very good performance. Yeah. I do think that it starts to lose its way – and then find its footing and then lose its way and then and like kind of rotating that there's a moment towards the middle of the movie that took me out completely and i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but it involves them finding another ship oh yeah uh so is it is it what they find on that ship that takes you out of it yes oh i thought it was, I, w- I thought it was ridiculous i thought it was okay I in fact um, I wanted I want I tr- I had to stop myself from laughing at how silly I thought it was. I I get what you're saying. It's a little it's it's played a little. It feels a little weird in a movie that's been playing itself so straight. Yeah. Um. I, I don't think it's terrible. Um. But also, it introduces something that that you didn't know was a threat, and I feel like that's kind of cheating a little bit. I don't know. And it's and it's it's not only wasn't introduced as a threat, but it doesn't come up again. And it just feels like it's it feels like that scene is stripped from another movie and placed into this one. It just was very ill fitting for me. It's a little like alienish. Uh, I'm talking about the movie Alien, you know, a little space horror movie, right in that section. Yeah, but I, I can see that. I, I didn't dislike it. I didn't feel like that took me out of the film, though. Yeah, and and then there's two things in particular that stand out to me about things that I couldn't quite get over. Um, one is the narration, which I really don't like in here. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of, of these constantly narrated films. Um, you know, I, I think 
though I, I do think it, this film would have probably been received sort of the same as uh, First Man was by people that thought that was too dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the narration kept this from being from from suffering that complaint. But I, I'm not a fan of the narration. Yeah. And, and it just it's it was it, it's just too it, it's too much. I don't know if it's exposition or I did just connecting the dots in a way that I don't think need to be connected. Um, and then the other thing that I, I I just never really was able to crack into the father story sunline. Um, I think that it's 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 got a little bit of distance to it where I don't know that you can really. I never really felt for Brad Pitt's character and his sort of. Uh, the the position that he was in and the conflict that he was feeling, I never felt that it was quite earned because I feel like the distance between those two characters, both literally and emotionally and everything that's going on, um, doesn't really lead for the catharsis that that I think that the movie wants to have. And and that was the biggest thing for me is that I – and especially towards the end of the movie, there's some moments that happened that just didn't resonate with me at all. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was fine with it. I, I, I will agree with you and it. It's beautiful. It's so well done. It looks gorgeous. And you know, the sound thing is another one. They do an interesting thing with, and that's, um, you know, I know you weren't a big fan of first man, but that's one of the things I loved about it was the production design and just the way everything was rickety and shitty and, and, uh, like really visceral. It was like the most visceral space flight feeling that I, I've had in a, in a film, you know, this takes a few liberties um, for convenience, most notably like gravity on the moon base and yeah. uh, um, other stuff uh, like and the weird the weird uh, like ghetto thing that's going on with Mars. I don't quite understand. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, you know, I, I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, of there's a lot of stuff to like in this film. My, mostly my problem was that it was, and I think I told you this, like it feels too dry. Yeah. And I mentioned that, that first man felt dry to some people, but I, I think this is a dry in a different way. Like there, there's a lot of, um, you know, telling people how they should feel. And that's kind of the whole, the whole running subplot is that, you know, there's this psychological profile that or psychological evaluation that people in this, um, you know, in the space program, space com, I think they called it, have to take um, all the time to make sure that they're, you know, not, uh, not, you know, uh, overly stressed or, or or going to to lose their minds on these long space travel journeys. And I think that because it spends so much time talking about that, it never really feels like it. It's demonstrating that, you know, it's never really telling how people feel. Yeah, and I also think that that too. It it has it, it has a problem with, um, with kind of just a, a, like I said, abandoning things that that you think are important but aren't. Like the one character who, um, oh, what's that actress's name? Um, Ruth Nega. Yes. So why is she in the movie? Why, like that character is in the movie for like five minutes and serves no purpose other than to push the story forward. Like, even her backstory does not come into play whatsoever. And I, yeah. I, was, I was so frustrated by that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, um... Like, oh God, like it, 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 serves, it serves to just be, like, a narrative parallel, but it's one that doesn't, like, her character is not consequential enough for that to matter. You know what I mean? 
Right. And, and, you know, there's this kind of solitary feeling um, that that I think Brad Pitt's character has. And I'm kind of curious if the narration was something that was added after the film was done. Uh, if if maybe it was something that was used to kind of pull it all together, because I feel like there's just a lot of um, you know, like you like I don't think that that it's uh, that her character is bad, but I, I do think there's a lot of of kind of plots uh, plot lines that get that do get either I wouldn't say abandoned because I don't feel like it's abandoned, but they just sort of end. Like whatever is going on with Donald Sutherland, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it yep. just sort of peters out. Um, you know this, uh, the fate of this crew that he's with uh, feels a little, um, you know, a little short. Um, and then you know the the Tommy Lee Jones character. I don't think we get to spend enough time yep. with him to end up feeling the way the movie wants us to feel about him at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, totally agree with that. You know, th- there's there's kind of a complex thing going on at the end uh, that that doesn't really get the attention that I think it, that character needs to to be looked at in the in the positive light the movie paints him in. And it, you know, I I feel like I'm getting too esoteric, but it's uh, it, I just feel like there's something there's there's some humanity missing. I think in a lot of it, um, I, I still really enjoyed it. And it's gorgeous to look at, and it's it's well made, and it's uh, Brad Pitt's really really good. Um, I just feel like it's it's missing something that that's that, that it needs to give it a spark. Yeah, and I think that that it, it's and again to add to the frustration for me, it's such an incredible depiction of space that mm-hmm. it's 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 annoying to me that they took a, an amazingly well crafted space environment. Um, visual effects are great, the you know, and, and just kind of put this sort of. Um, I, I think their intentions were good. I just, I just feel like the the execution fails in areas where it should be much stronger. Like your your point about Tommy Lee Jones is spot on. I mean that that character is such a mystery for so long that once we finally get to the point narratively where we want to go, it just doesn't pack a punch, you know? Yeah. And 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 that and that and it has to because that's that's the. You know the th- the themes of this movie are uh, are are rooted in the father and son relationship, and we don't when we don't know anything about one half of the equation, it's really hard to to feel. And you, know? and you know, and honestly, I don't really think we know that much about Brad Pitt's character. No, we either. don't. And, and again, another I, I just remembered this another character that that plays into his backstory that gets no almost zero screen time and, and no development is whoever the fuck Liv Tyler is Yes, playing. yep. Why have her? Again, why have her in the movie? Yeah, I, I it was just... I, there's there's a lot of stuff that that's to like about this movie, but then it feels like it's missing um, just uh, the humanity or some sort of feeling that's, that's not showing up and, and that it's trying to communicate with words instead of showing with actions and 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 whatever but anyway what's your grade for ad astra gosh you know i'm so torn on it because i i was at a b minus and now talking about it i feel like uh we are uh kind of uh i'm moving on the other side of it but uh, i would probably say uh, ultimately a b minus because i think that there's enough in there to make it worth watching um but it, it really feels like a botched execution 
um, throughout the time. And like I said, my over, my prevailing feeling when watching it was was a feeling of frustration because they would do stuff that I loved. And I remember having an internal dialogue with myself watching it, like, okay, I'm back in. Like I literally said that to myself a couple times. And the kid's would, back. <laughs> yeah. And then it would just lose me again. So um, I think that it's worth seeing it's it's well it's well crafted visually but um there leaves a lot to be desired yeah i'm at a b minus also i feel like we've spent a lot of time slagging on it and i and for what it's worth i think it tells the story it wants to tell i just think it's a little too obtuse for uh every viewer to get into uh, i i feel like they you know i i don't i wouldn't call it botched i'd feel i call it just you know it's it's too dense uh, in what it wanted to do as opposed to what it should have done. Um, I, I, I can't not recommend it cause it's gorgeous and I, Brad Pitt's great and it's, it is enjoyable. Um, but it's just, something's not there that needs to be there. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next movie between two ferns, the movie. Hey, where are you going? We're going home. But you have to film at all times. If I say cut, that means keep the camera rolling. If I say get that camera out of my face, put that camera in my face, okay? Let's do it again from the top. You want to do this conversation again from the top? Yeah, this is my life story. You ruined that scene of my life story. So did you, by the way. Let's take it from the top. Where are you going? I'm going home. That's bad acting, bad acting. This is, of course, based on the Between Two Ferns um, mock talk show hosted by Zach Galifianakis. I uh, believe it appeared uh, It's a funnier. Is it? Did it start as a funnier die thing? Yes, it, it did. did. Right. OK. Yeah. Um, and it was never something that that had like a scheduled release. It would just sort of appear like. Uh, yes. In the last. Uh, what's it been? Ten years, roughly. I mean, at least, yeah, it's been around for quite some time. It was one of the first bigger hits for Funny or Die. Yeah, um, and it's a very, uh, you know, you've if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, it's Zach Galifianakis sort of playing a cluelessly rude talk show host on public access TV, and he's interviewing these incongruously famous people on this shitty talk show. And one of them was famously uh, President Obama. Um there's been numerous, numerous others. I can't remember, but so now uh, there is a film version of this uh, on Netflix. You can go watch it right now on Netflix. It was released last Friday. Uh, what did you think of Between Two Ferns the movie? Well, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of the of the series. Um, there was a pocket of time where I was really into Zach Galifianakis as a stand up. Um, this was prior to The Hangover. And um, and I really liked his stuff. He his and so I don't know if you know this, but um, you, do you remember? Uh, did you ever see his live at the Purple Onion um, stand up special? Oh yeah, where he's at the piano. Yeah. So that yeah. was the first ever bit of original programming that Netflix ever did. Uh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was the first Netflix produced anything. Um, and so uh, and so he's got the history with Netflix. So that's uh, you know factors into him being brought back but live with the purple onion is brilliant i mean it's it's him doing stand-up in a piano and then it's got like vignettes of really funny stuff i don't know if you remember him it wasn't it like his his fake brother his fake twin brother or something yes so his fake brother eventually became his character in the campaign 
Um, like oh this, yeah, it's like the, the effeminate, uh, effeminate southern, yeah, effeminate the, racist, yeah, the the effeminate southern, uh, southern gentleman. Um, so it, he was playing Seth Galifianakis, uh, and uh, and so there's really great stuff in that. And I was and I I was a big fan. I also love the comedians of comedy um, documentary, which was him, Patton Oswalt, Brian Posehn, um, going on tour and stuff. But um, you know, oh, and Maria Bamford, I think was in that. Uh, but anyway. Oh, yes. um, it, 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 this movie is is a bit uh, of a of double edged sword, right? Because I think that the interview stuff is really funny. Um, there's some great interviews with uh, I think the the McConaughey one is great, uh, the Keanu Reeves one is great, uh, the Brie Larson one is great, um, and like a bunch of great little quips and uh, and and you know what you would expect from Between Two Ferns, you know. Them like you know him and the actor just kind of trading barbs at each other, um, and 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 it's fun to watch celebrities be game to get made fun of in a you know obviously it's it's scripted and stuff but um, you know uh, you know he's he's insulting them to their faces and it's quite funny. Um, the thing it runs into is the problem anytime you have anything that's either mockumentary or um, some sort of hidden camera type stuff. Um, which is that when you try to take a concept that is short form or reality or something like that, and you try to put a narrative in it, it it, it almost always doesn't work. Um, the closest I think it's ever come is Borat. Um, uh, yeah, that's just what I was going to say. I think that that's the one that really sort of started this whole thing. Well, right. Spinal Tap really started it. But, yeah, I mean, Spinal this, Tap. This, moder- this modern age of it. Yeah, and Borat's the closest thing that it gets because the narrative actually is comprehensible uh, and uh, and it makes sense. And then obviously you even saw I think Bruno didn't work quite as well. I think that like uh, the jackass bad grandpa is okay, but like clearly the narrative stuff is the worst part of it. And I think that the thing the same thing happens here where I think that the narrative is unfortunately um, not not working well uh within the context of the movie which is unfortunate because two of the 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 of the actors who are in it with with zach uh lauren lapkus and ryan gall are uh, one plays his cameraman and one plays his assistant um are, are really talented people and so all of those scenes that happen are improvised so it's 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 an improvised movie uh during the narrative and then the scripted um interview stuff so um, I just wish that it worked a little bit better in the narrative and that the jokes were a little bit sharper um, during those times because it's a lot of, like, um, uh, off-camera stuff. So, like, for example, I'll give you an example. So Scott Ackerman, who's the director of the movie, also the host of the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, was talking about how they would shoot it. So, like, they would bring in, like, Lauren Lapkus, and she would improvise something, and then they would go shoot it. So like mm-hmm. so like she would mention something like like you know the thing that happened like there's something on a boat that happens where she where like there's a trumpet I believe right. that was like improvised and then they went out and went to go shoot it you know and that's how they kind of did the narrative type stuff and and and, and so much of it feels like non sequiturs that don't really add anything t- to it and then they tar- and then and then also injecting the narrative with the interview stuff plays off weird with the John Legend and Chrissy Teigen stuff which I think is maybe the worst section of the movie that I feel like just doesn't work. Um, oh, uh, the, I think that, that I personally think Chrissy Teigen has the best joke in the movie. Oh, she has great jokes, but I don't think that the way that the narrative plays out is. Oh, oh I see what you, I see. But, what like you the mean. way of blending that narrative scene with the John legend interview. I just didn't really like, 
um, very much. But, you know, again, is is it worth watching for the interviews if you're a Between Two Ferns fan? Absolutely. However, you know, they've already said that they're going to release 10 episodes of Cutting Room uh, Floor stuff uh, that they're going to whittle into episodes of Between Two Ferns, and I think that might be the more worthwhile usage of time. Yeah, I... uh... I was I I'm a fan of the show the talk show. Um, I was not a fan of this movie. I mean the the anything with the interview stuff was great. I think there are a couple of moments uh, in the narrative part. Uh, the Chrissy Teigen joke I mentioned, where she talks about having getting a choice to push a button to be famous, but <laughs> someone has to die. I think that's a fucking hilarious joke. Yeah. Um, I think John Hamm, uh, his introduction is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, but everything else, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, Will Ferrell, I like, I like when Will Ferrell plays a deranged lunatic, <laughs> yeah. uh, and especially like a deranged lunatic version of himself, but I think everything else is just, I, I did not give a shit at it's all. It's all filler. I mean, it's, it's, it's great interviews with a bunch of filler. I, I don't think, and, and, you know, that it's improvised. I don't care. It's not funny. Like, I mean, the trumpet thing wasn't really funny. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fine. It's not terrible, but it's just fine. Like there's nothing, there's nothing in it that, that really struck me as being funny that wasn't directly related to the interview stuff. And, and you know, like I said, the Chrissy Teigen joke was great. The Matt, the John Hamm. Um, I love the uh, the uh, Keanu. One of my favorites was the Keanu Reeves uh, joke, which Zach asked him on a scale of one to one hundred, how many words do you know? Yeah, but that's <laughs> the inter- that's the interview stuff. Yeah, I and mean, I'm talking I'm talking about anything outside. I think the interview stuff is all pretty gold. I, I don't think uh, I don't think any of those are really fall too flat. I I don't um, know I don't know that the Letterman works that well. Actually. I, I think that's just Letterman though. I, I always have a hard time figuring out if Letterman even. I, I mean, he checked out a long time ago mm-hmm. on being funny. I think uh, you know outright funny. I think he's just more of a uh, an old guy now. Um, and, and not to say that it wasn't funny. The, the uh, is it the outtake uh, where he mentions Zach mentions that he's like what you read a book last night you want to come tell every all the young people about it? <laughs> I think that There's, was the outtake that was fucking hilarious but like Letterman you know it's always like he's he's above the bit yeah and I think that's his thing now and, and or I don't know I didn't really watch Letterman much when when I was he was a little that was a little tiny bit before my time but uh, I, I just feel like that's him. And I think that's probably par for the course for him. Um, I think that it's funny when he's like when he's leaving, uh, like they're parting ways with Letterman. I think that was a funny scene too. That was like, that yeah, was just go, yeah. Try to stay off the grass. He's like, but it's all, <laughs> it's all grass. Yeah, uh, that, that was I, good. And and the, also the outtakes are pretty phenomenal too. Oh yeah, uh, the, the I mean, hands down, I think my favorite overall was Paul Rudd, and that's yeah. interview and outtakes. Just because I, I, I mean, I love Paul Rudd and forever will, uh, but he just sells the the absurdity so well, uh, you know. And I think that 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 there are better, you know, a lot of the mockumentary stuff felt like a a poor imitation of The Office, um, you know. I, even I know the, it's it was supposed to be heavily inspired by Spinal Tap too, like the style of it. Well, yeah, I mean, everything. I mean, I did all this, because, but, yeah. but uh, you know, it felt like you know Lauren Lapkus hauling in the the old iMac like that's not i mean that joke is absurd um in its in its like no one's ever going to believe this is true mm-hmm. like that was the thing about michael scott was he the michael scott character was he was full of this stuff 
that was just out like just outside of 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 what someone would do and i think that that's this movie suffers a little bit by being trying to go a little too broad mm-hmm. with uh some of that narrative humor um you know and it just ends up not being terribly funny uh overall with the, with the storyline again the, the the reason to watch it is the interviews and i think those are all great like I, like I, one thing i had a problem with and i was just thought about this the uh squaring the version of zach on the show and the version of the zach character in the narrative they, they don't really make sense together mm-hmm. like like so what's your impression of him on the show like is he supposed to be just like a clueless asshole or is he malevolent? I think that sh- I think that he's supposed to be mildly malevolent, which which also doesn't track as to why people would want to do his show when right. when every single time it ends that way. Um because I think that I think the bit in the gag on the show is that he's asking really insulting or cuz the questions he asks aren't even stupid, they're like direct shots and insults to the guests. Yeah, it's like it's like a roast sort of thing. It, it's know. like a roast where the other person isn't a willing participant. That's basically what Between Two Ferns is. And then they take that and then they throw it back and insult and make fun of him. So malevolent, yeah, I I think so. Yeah. But yeah, so it doesn't really square with the the version that we're given in the narrative part, I don't think. Well, especially with him wanting to be kind of like a big time talk show host and knowing that his show canonically is him insulting his guest you know it's just yeah. a, it's a weird thing i mean not that it's supposed to make all kinds of great sense but yeah that's probably it, being analyzed on a deeper level than it's meant to i, be, I just it just it doesn't i don't i think there's a, an opportunity for comedy that's lost there like if he was just a, a total asshole mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I was disappointed in the film as you can tell but what's your grade for between two ferns the movie i would probably give it a c plus um, it's not, I, I can't recommend it, but I think that the, that the pockets of interviews are just too good, man. I just, I was cracking up at, at all, almost all of the interview stuff. So when you break down the laugh percentage, I was laughing quite a bit because it's a lot of it is interviews. So, you know, it's, it's a half of a good movie, um, that probably would have been half of a good, uh, a full good season of TV if you cut everything <laughs> out. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I can't say that I disliked it, but it's not a good movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. A C plus is probably accurate. It's it's the probably the lamest movie that I've laughed out loud at so many times. Yeah, because I was I was literally not enjoying it, uh, the narrative part, but I would laugh my ass off at some jokes, mm-hmm. uh, which is a weird combination of things. Because normally that doesn't work like that. It but. is, and it and it is a little jarring because I because because our colleague Kiko was telling me that he laughed out loud maybe three times the whole time. And I laughed out loud three times in the first five minutes. Like, like the Matthew McConaughey uh, interview is hilarious, uh, and uh, and so yeah, I, I you know, I, I it, it is weird to to like you'll la- you'll laugh your ass off, and then you'll be silent for like five minutes, <laughs> and then you'll laugh <laughs> you're again. Like, you're like, okay, they're gonna do some horse shit before they get to another interview, like, and then then you'll start laughing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it, it's I think it's it's fine to watch on Netflix. You know, put it on in the background and pay attention when the the interviews pop up. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, coming up next, we're finally going to get to play. Uh, uh, pardon, I forgot the name. Cinephile. Cinephile. Sorry, I I blanked for a second. It's the uh, the movie based card game uh, that we've um, 
we've gotten copies of, and we're finally going to play it on the show. We've been talking about it for a couple weeks now, and we yeah, we've been bogged down. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, we've teased it enough. We don't have to go into it too much. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to to giving that a shot and um and seeing how it is. I mean, I I you know I I will be curious to see like how much of a have of a movie nerd you have to be to uh, get enjoyment out of it or, or even be good at it. Um, so uh, I, I look forward to taking on that challenge and, uh, and trying it out. I've heard great things about it. So, yeah, I think they're, they actually played it at fantastic fest today. I know the creator was there and I think, they, Oh really? It was part of like, they have like a gaming thing that they do. Um, like, you know, like for example, you know how Mondo has like the thing game that they put out mm-hmm. and then you could play. They, they had that last year, I believe. They had a ton of uh, games set up at MondoCon, and I don't know, I don't know if that one was in there in the mix. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Anyway, um, so if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at cinesnob, Facebook cinesnobnet. Um, what else? Something? Nothing? No, I mean we'll, we're going to take a week off of of interviews probably, but then we'll be back in full force the following of week with reviews, Joker not interviews. Oh, oh, oh fuck yeah. me! I said interviews. Yeah, you. We'll cut that out. Dipshit. Just interview. No, oh, no, no, we won't. God damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we've got Joker coming up on our next review episode. So yeah, uh, lots of chatter about this already. Um, I know it premiered. Um, where did it premiere? Was it Can? Uh, Can? Yeah. Um, lots of chatter about how great it is mm-hmm. and then how problematic it might be. I'm yeah. curious about this film. Um, Have you ever seen The King of Comedy? No, I haven't, but I, I know that the, the comparisons are there. Yeah, I, I, I would be curious to see, because I'm, I'm, I watched it for the first time recently and absolutely loved it, and I'm curious to see how much it, it apes from that movie like truly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, I think the biggest issue that people have with the film is the, the, um, you know, sort of glorification of this guy that that is the type that that is shooting up WalMarts now. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I mean, obviously, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't comment on that. But I know that that's been the discussion. Yeah, there's some crazy ass discourse out there, so uh, will be fun to add to the to the heap pile. God, the, first you get the Jared Leto hot topic Joker, and now you get the uh, the crazy incel school shooter Joker. Just not a lot of uh, in between there. No. Can we just go back to Heath Ledger who died, Joker? Well, no, for obvious reasons. I guess not. <laughs> All right. Anything else before we go? Nope. We've just ended it on death, so I think we're at yeah. a good stopping point. Rest in peace, Heath Ledger. Yes. Um. Ten years ago, we lost an angel. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I don't know. Did we? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. <laughs> Cody Vip. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.